Welcome to Money Vision U. In this podcast, we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom. If you want to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill. Money Vision U, class in session. Welcome to another episode of Money Vision U. Today we have a really neat guest with us. Robert Greer is on the podcast with us, and he's going to talk about bonds and treasuries, which we have not gotten to talk about with this podcast. So super excited about that. But Mr. Greer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. Good to be with you. Yeah. So I actually want to just go ahead and dive right into this because this is a topic that a lot of people are lost on, uh, but it's a very important topic. I think that goes beyond just like investing in bonds and treasuries just to get returns from that. And as it can have like a macroeconomic viewpoint, we need to pay attention to and things like that. So just to start, just kind of give listeners an idea of what you do, because you help, I guess, with in- investors who are interested in investing in bonds and treasuries and things like that. Just give us a glimpse into what you do and kind of how that works. Well, I work for Cruise and Associates, which is headquartered in Little Rock. And it's owned by First Security Bank, which is out in Searcy. And I've been there since June of 1992. So, you know, going on 30 years, honestly. It's been been a good run. And uh, basically, my title is a senior executive uh, vice president. But that really means nothing in the investment world. When you work work Mm -hmm. for an investment company, uh, there's many different roles. The role that I actually uh, play is a fixed income broker. And so what that means is I'm literally every day trying to find either retail clients, which are usually individuals that would buy smaller uh, pieces of bonds or large institutional clients that would typically buy larger blocks of bonds. And I'm trying to basically put buyers and sellers together all day long. And then I make the difference between where we buy bonds and sell bonds. So my commission, honestly, on a bond trade is basically the difference between where we can buy those as a firm and where we can go sell those to our clients. So I work with about 50 other guys. Some of them have a different type of um, investment book. A lot of them uh, might have individuals primarily. Some of them have institutional investors and some of them have a mix of both. That's kind of what I've developed over a 30 year time period is a mixture of both. I've got a lot of individuals in Arkansas that like to buy Arkansas tax-free municipal bonds uh, because they never have to pay any taxes on the interest that they earn. And then I have other larger institutional clients that literally all day long, every day, they're buying and selling some types of bonds. And so that's kind of where you want to get to over a career is have have clients that are very active, you know, buying and selling all the time. Because that's 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 what put breads on put, puts bread on the table for right. us is you know having clients that are very active and going in and knowing that you're going to do a number of trades each day. So that's the nutshell. That's pretty much what I do all day long, looking to put together buyers and sellers. And, you know, and then I make the difference in between. Yeah. So we're going to have to tackle a lot of these different terms here. Um, But the 
just overall concept. You're not a financial advisor. You're just providing a investment opportunity with bonds and, and, and whatnot or municipal bonds, which I have zero idea about, which the and not paying tax on the interest, things like that. That's interesting. So um, but you you essentially are just giving these people the investment opportunities. You're not a financial advisor. That's correct. Actually, what we're doing, Stuart, to really narrow it down is we're just ex- executing the trades for financial advisors. So, so a financial okay. advisor, someone that you go to, you go sit down and talk with and say, you know, hey, I'm 25, 30 years old. I'm just starting in my career. Can you give me some ideas as to what I might invest in over a period of time and, you know, maximize, you know, what my uh, retirement might look like? And then, you know, once you have those conversations, then a financial advisor would turn to someone like me and say, okay, I have a client that's a young person and they want to be able to, you know, invest money over time and build up and have the biggest nest egg they can. What kind of recommendations can you make of, you know, what's available right now? And then that's where we really come in because we are very, again, we're very, very active in what's going on in the bond market. So literally, all day long, we're providing what's called a secondary market service, which is buying and selling bonds all day long, every day. So a financial advisor or a large money manager or like a trust department head or somebody that's working for a mutual fund, they would call us and say, I've talked to my client. We've already put together a plan for the client. Now, can you recommend to me what the best available bond yields are? And then that's when we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're the matchmaker. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're just, it's our job to find the best available products for financial advisors, money managers, et cetera. Yeah. So you're very hands-on all the time, paying attention to trends going on, things like that. Very, very involved. I'm sure CNBC or something like that is, or Fox business is constantly on the TV, just kind of keeping up with what's going on. <laughs> watching that all day long every day and again again where we make our money is trading so i mean honestly Mm -hmm. every day all across the world you know there are billions of dollars worth of bonds for sale for whatever reason someone might have passed away someone needs to sell a bond early etc etc so we are actively trying to buy those bonds and then turn around and go sell them to a financial advisor or another client that might be looking for something just like that so that that's a secondary market trade that's what that's called a primary market trade just to kind of educate you a little bit on the bond world is like a new issue where you underwrite a new bond issue. So say, for example, the city of Little Rock is borrowing $50 million to do improvements to the sewers and the streets and all that. And they hire Cruz and Stevens and you know one or two other firms. So that would be called a primary market transaction where we are underwriting a bond issue, we're selling them to clients, okay? And we do that all the time. And then in addition to that, we do what's called secondary market trading, which is somebody might buy that bond and it has a 20 year maturity, but they need to sell it three years. So we're, we're buying those and then go sell them to somebody else. So I know that's a whole lot within a short period of time, but sure. that's basically that's basically what our job is. We do primary market transactions all the time, underwriting bond issues for people. And then we're constantly involved in secondary market trades, which is buying bonds from one entity entity and selling them to another. Okay. That makes sense? Am I I too much in a short period of time? No, we're going to break it down. 
let's break down a lot of these terminology or these different words that you you brought up in the conversation of what you're kind of doing here. It's just starting with a bond. What is a bond? Well, okay. A bond is basically just a loan between two entities where the borrower agrees to pay a certain amount of interest over time. So just like uh, when you go to get a mortgage to buy a house, you know, uh, you have to go to a bank and then you sign all the documents and say, I agree to pay this back over time. Plus I'm paying interest on top of that. And 30 years from now, the loan will be completely paid off, right? That's how a typical mortgage works. So a bond is the exact same thing. So it's someone, some entity borrowing money for a period of time. As, um, as a result, they agree to pay interest to whoever the investor is that will loan them that money. And then at that end of that specific period of time, the principal amount is due. Um, so the, whoever borrowed that money has to pay back the principal at the end of it. So that, that and then some bonds actually will have collateral, like, for example, you know, there's a lot of municipal bonds where there'll be a mortgage pledge or something like that in case anything goes wrong during the time period that the, the, the person that borrowed the money is supposed to be paying it back. Then you have collateral in case, uh, you know, some type of uh, negative situation happens. At least you have something left there. So yeah. that's basically what a bond is, just a loan for an agreed uh, a period of time and whoever's borrowing the money is paying back interest to the investor. Yeah. It, collateral meaning if someone doesn't pay it back, they get something else that you might have in return. So maybe uh, I think a mortgage could be an example where if you don't pay your home loan, well, then they start to get your car or something like that. That's an example of collateral. Well, I mean, and, and if you borrow money to buy a house and for, for some terrible reason, you can't pay it back. Yes. Then the bank owns your house. Right. right. Yeah, and, and if you can't pay the mortgage, they go sell it, and at least they get whatever money back they got from selling the house. So yes, there's a lot of bonds that have some type of collateral. You know, um, in in particular, like a like an airline bond. You know, Southwest Airlines, American Airlines, you know, Delta. When they go uh, borrow money, they have to pledge their actual planes as collateral for that for that bond, and so. For, for some reason, if the you know airlines struggle to pay that back, then the investor actually owns the planes and then they, they can go sell those to some other airline. At least you have some type of collateral that secures, you know, that that loan. So, yeah, that's very common is okay. to, you know, to see different bond issues having collateral in case something negative happens. Okay. So am I correct or cliche in saying that a bond is a bond between two parties uh, agreeing to loan and or one's the lender and one's uh, the one paying back the loan. And that's essentially the bond between the two parties, but people just call it a bond. And, you know, the interest and things like that differs, but that's essentially what it is or kind of in a cliche nutshell. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a lender and a borrower. You're exactly okay. right. That's what okay. it was. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And so, a real estate mortgage that is, is that technically what someone could consider a bond then? Or is, is that kind of a one-off example or that would be an example? That is an, that's a perfect example of what a bond is. Perfect. Okay. Because the bank is loaning you money and they have your house as collateral and you're agreeing to pay it back over time. Plus whatever the interest rate is that they're charging. So yeah, yeah that's, a, that's the, to me, that's the simplest example of a bond that exists. I agree. 
mortgage because everybody understands what a mortgage is. Yeah. So, so let yes, yeah, staying on that one because you're talking about how you, I guess, find two parties interested in buying or selling bonds. So you know, I have a mortgage on my house, but I've had my mortgage or my um my lender change. And I didn't even know it. It was just someone, I kept the same terms in my uh, loan. I kept my same interest rate, my same years or same amount of principles already paid down, but I just get something in the mail randomly that's saying, oh, your lender changed. It's now, you know, it's not Penny Mac, it's Mr. Cooper or whoever it is. And so that's essentially the an example of two entities that you're maybe helping pair together to find one borrower or uh, I guess one buyer and one seller. That would be an example of kind of the two parties that you're pairing together? Absolutely. And like uh, most people that have a mortgage experience exactly what you're talking about all the time. I mean, you may go to your local bank that you have a great relationship with and you have a buddy there that's going to help you with the mortgage and all that. And then you buy the house, you do the mortgage, you sign all the papers. And then a month later, you see that Wells Fargo or Bank of America or someone else is now servicing your loan. That's very, very common. And what that actually means is, Stuart, is that whoever was initially helping you with that, they were only doing that to make a very small sliver of money in the entire overall package. That bank did really, or the mortgage company, they didn't really want the risk associated with that mortgage over a 30-year period, even if the house is collateral. They right. need to actually sell that to a larger inst uh, entity that is much more capable of handling the risk okay. of you know, that mortgage over time. I mean, again, someone like Wells Fargo, Bank of America that does you know, uh, billions of dollars worth of mortgages all the time. And so they can, if interest rates go up dramatically, their portfolio can handle, you know, the, the loss that would come with loaning money out at a fixed rate. And so that may be something that we need to talk about because that's very important in the bond world. I mean, yeah. say, for, you know, say, for example, you borrowed money last year to buy a house and your rate was three and a half percent or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was locked in for 30 years. So as jumped a, up. you love that. You love that. Well, now the going rate is, you know, six and a quarter or whatever. Mm -hmm. So a bank or a mortgage company that has that loan on their books, that's fixed at three and a half percent for 30 years is taking a, a, a huge hit over mm -hmm. that time because now the, the going rate for mortgages is six and a quarter percent. So again, that's why your local mortgage company wants to pump that as soon as possible because they don't want to take the risk of that thing going down in value dramatically if interest rates go up, which is an important part of the bond world. You need to realize that you know any investor that buys a bond, they're agreeing to a fixed uh, amount of interest over a period of time. And if interest rates go up dramatically, then the value of the, the principal value of their bond goes down, which is exactly what we saw in 2022. So the, the Fed is bumping rates dramatically, trying to bring inflation down. Right. So all, all the bonds that have been in, that have been issued in the last couple of years, 
You know, if you jumped in and bought those, you've experienced a significant principal loss because a year or two ago, you know, a long-term bond might yield three or 4% and you agree to that amount of, uh, of interest over time. Well, now interest rates have gone up dramatically. So you might have that same exact bond, you know, might need to yield five, six, 7% for somebody to buy that. So what you bought has gone down dramatically in, in value just because of interest uh, interest rates. So that's what we call interest rate risk. Anybody that purchases bonds experiences interest rate risk. If interest rates mm -hmm. go up, the value of your bonds go down and vice versa. If interest rates go down, the value of your bonds go up. Now, the, the nice thing about bonds and the reason many people buy bonds is that at maturity, you're still going to get your principal amount back. So, it, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of people... And here's a here's a good cliche that we talk about in our business that might be really good for your listeners to hear. But it is uh, it is people don't buy bonds to get rich; they buy bonds to stay rich. Okay, okay. it's kind of a funny thing, but I mean, it's basically uh, for the most part, it's investors that are they want some portion of their portfolio to be fairly stable. And they want to be able to count on what's going to happen after a certain period of time. So, I mean, say, for example, if you love to buy stocks, well, in order for someone to make money in the stock market, you have to purchase the stock. It has to go up in value. And then right. you have to sell. And you hope that those things happen. And then, you know, along the way, you'd love to get some dividends from, you know, quarterly dividends that pay you a little bit of money. But in the bond market, you're making a loan. Someone's going to pay you interest over that period of time. Then you get your principal back. So in theory, it really doesn't matter what happens with interest rates, whether they go up or down, your bond value goes up or down. Most people don't buy them for that reason for the first place. They just buy it to earn the interest payments over time and then get their money back at a fixed period of time. So they like they like to have a portion of their portfolio in something that uh, is very stable that they can count on and have to worry about what's really going on, you know, in the stock market and elsewhere. So, yeah, because so... Yeah. You, so you mentioned you get into bonds not to get rich, but to stay rich. And that's because these interest rate, like there is a lender and there's a borrower. A borrower is not going to take a aggressively high interest rate. So it seems like, you know, I've never invested in a bond or something like that. But what it seems like is, you know, if you're an investor, you're going to have to expect lower percentage returns or lower percentage yields because a borrower is not going to take a 12%. Like you're not just going to go, hey, I'll loan you money for 12%. Some people might do that if they're needing it for something or like a quick business idea or something like that. But if you're like a mortgage on a house, you know, you're going to go with, I guess, the you know normal rate or that may work a little bit differently, but you're not going to be getting an aggressive amount of uh, yield, I guess I, you should say, but it's a very low risk um, investment. Because, for example, a lender loaning money to someone who's getting into uh, buying a real estate a house for themselves, well, they've qualified them through all these different ways and avenues and things like that. And, you know, 30 year mortgage, you know, it, you're not paying too much back over time. And so for the lender, you hear 3% and it's like, which is what it was maybe a year ago, which is, I guess, as low as it's ever been. And you're like, okay, I wouldn't ever really invest for myself in something that's paying me 3% annually or however it works. But, you know, that, so th is that kind of the right idea, though, for from the invest investor standpoint? I mean, you're, you're just getting lower 
yield because you're not going to find borrowers who are going to take these aggressive interest rates that you might be lending out money for? Well, not necessarily, because I would say uh, what uh, really the interest rate is dictated by the credit quality of the borrower. So this is a a good time to talk about treasuries because treasuries are backed by what's called the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. And in theory, now think about think about it this way. In theory, the federal government has the power to raise taxes on the American people to whatever they need to raise them to, to pay off the debt. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's why people consider U.S. Treasuries to be among the safest bonds in the whole world. And so everything else in the whole world uh, uses Treasuries as basically their benchmark. Okay. Okay. So, you know, like all corporate bonds that are issued, for example, Walmart goes and borrows money. You know, they're, they're the return on whatever corporate bonds they're issuing is going to be some spread over treasury. So it's basically going to be what what do, what do investors think should be the difference in return between what they get on a treasury bond and what they get on a Walmart bond? What should that spread be? So say, and I'm just going to throw out an example to give your listeners kind of an idea. Okay. Yep. So currently... The 10-year treasury bond is like three and a half percent. Okay. So investors would say that now this is the, the public as a whole. If Walmart wants to borrow money for 10 years, we're going to charge them 1% over what the current treasury rate is. So basically that would be four and a half percent. Okay. Right. Or the way we talk about that is basis points. So we would say Walmart is a hundred basis points over the 10-year treasury to go borrow money, okay? 100 basis points is a percent, essentially. Exactly. And so basically, um, you know, the, the, the U.S. government is considered to be uh, the safest possible bonds that you can buy, okay? Because again, it's backed by full faith and credit of the U.S. And then everything else is, you know, some step away from that, some spread over treasuries, exactly like I mentioned on the Walmart bond. And so... Uh, so really, when you talk about, you know, the agreement between a, uh, you know, a borrower and a lender, instead of it being like a borrower dictating the terms of, you know, I will only borrow this money at a certain interest rate, really the lender dictates it. The, uh, the lender yeah. says, you know, I will, I will only buy Walmart bonds if they're issued at 100 basis points over treasuries. Other than that, if it's any interest rate lower than that, then I won't buy it. So our market is dictated by the loaners or the buyers. You know, they they tell uh, the market, this is where we'll buy those bonds. This is where we'll loan you that money. And if you want an interest rate lower than that, then you might be out of luck, you know? Right. Yeah. And usually uh, the borrowers, I mean, again, it's kind of go back to the home mortgage uh, that we were talking about, when you go to a local bank, I mean, clearly you want to find the lowest possible rate, but you're still not dictating the rate. You're just saying, what's the yeah. best rate of all the money? You know, they might look at you and say, well, you have a good credit score and all that. And so, you know, we'll give you a six or six and a quarter, uh-huh. but you're not going to say, well, I'm only going to do if it's five, uh, because they're going to say, well, not find oh, that. Yeah. That's, not, that's not where current rates are, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's the it's the 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 lenders, the investors, 
that dictate the terms yeah. of bonds. It's not and the I, bar. I guess as a borrower, you can shop with different potential options, but you know, still not going to find something most likely under the the U.S. Treasury um, amount. And that's a we got to get into that too. So the U.S. Treasury, first of all, is basically a bond yes. backed by the government. So. Yeah, so- Exactly. So they they issue literally billions and billions of dollars worth of bonds each week. And, you know, who ends up buying most of those bonds is like, you know, other countries, China, large banks. And and the reason they buy those, um, Stuart, really is because of the liquidity factor, which uh, liquidity is a big word in the bond market that basically means that, you know, they are whoever is loaning the U.S. government, that amount of money, they are absolutely certain without a shadow of a doubt that on the maturity date, they are going to get that money back. So it's the, again, it's the safest investment that you can make and it's the most liquid investment you can make. If you need to, if you buy a six month T-bill and for some reason, three months from now, you need the money, you can literally sell it in two seconds. So that's, that's a liquidity issue. But Anyway, so treasuries are the safest thing that you can buy. And usually large institutions, banks, foreign governments, those are the primary purchasers of treasuries. Um, you know, many uh, of those institutions have to hold a certain percentage of their overall investments in treasuries. That's the reason they buy those. Most investors, you and me, uh, individuals, I mean, you really don't need something as safe as a U.S. treasury. I mean, you would be yeah. happy with Walmart bond, or you'd be happy with a city of Little Rock, you know, municipal bond, because I mean, there's, you're not taking on a whole bunch of additional risk by buying, you know, these other instruments and you're going to get paid more interest. Does that make sense? Well, okay. There's so many follow-ups I have, but I think the first question I want to ask is just how do you even buy a bond? Cause you're talking about how you can get into Walmart bonds or buy us treasuries. How is it? Can is there just a website you can go on and look for some of these? I mean, there's a Robinhood app where you can, you know, go or, or Fidelity or whatever the different apps are where you can go buy stocks and things like that. Is there an app like that or a website like that where you can go buy U.S. Treasuries and buy, obviously none of this is financial advice for anyone, but just kind of the the option or opportunity to buy some of these things. How do you even do that? Well, there's uh, there's so many discount brokerage firms that you could open up an account. And, you know, literally buy anything you want on your own if you kind of know what you're doing. I I think it makes more sense, you know, to open up an account with someone like me uh, or any, you know, buddy that you have that works for a reputable firm and say, say, can you recommend, you know, some good investments to me? What, What are other people in your office buying that they think look attractive rather than just, you know, kind of going on your own if you if you really you know, are flying blind and don't know what you're doing. You can do that on Schwab or, you know, TD Ameritrade or whatever. Uh, but I, I think it just makes more sense to talk to somebody who does that all the time. Yeah. And even if you, even if you pay them a couple hundred dollars to make you, you know, make an investment recommendation to you, at least, you know, you know, uh-huh. that person talking about. So, yeah. yes, but I mean, all, all you know, the, the entire bond market from treasuries, corporates, municipal bonds, you know, mortgages, whatever, it is all available at any discount, you know, uh, brokerage firm. So you can literally, you know, open up a Schwab account, pay $25 a year annual fee. And if, if you knew what you were doing, you were really experienced in it, you know, you could buy and sell whatever you want all day long. So, yes, yeah. 
very, it's very accessible. Yeah. So you can just get it. Yeah. So you can get a, a an account, but it, obviously it's better to work with. So, cause man, there's just a lot that goes with bonds and treasuries and, and things like that. So it's definitely going to be better to work with somebody. Um, but if someone has a financial advisor, maybe you're working with their financial advisor as well. It's not, or is it some, or are you only working with the individual? How would that work? Can they just send their financial advisor to you say, Hey, I want to get some of my portfolio in treasuries and bonds, not just, you know, uh, mutual funds or whatever financial advisors are putting it in. And then you kind of work side by side with them. Well, uh, yes. I mean, uh, typically, you know, if you go to a financial advisor, you know, they're going to make some recommendations to you. And then the, the way they work is they usually charge you a fee for managing your money. Okay. So what their goal is, a financial advisor's goal is to maximize the return for their clients. So you go in there and talk about, I'm a young guy, I'm making money. I want to put, you know, put away a, a nice amount of money for a nest egg over time. And then they say, okay, well, you know, how much do you have to invest? How much can we, you know, over time put into this account? And then they, they want to maximize, their goal is to maximize that return for you, number one, to make you money, number two, because they're getting a fee off of that. I mean, sometimes it's, mm -hmm. you know, a, a quarter of a percent which we would call five basis points or mm -hmm. a half a percent. I mean, the way that financial advisors work is that the larger your account is, usually the smaller the fee is because, you know, they try to get multi-million dollar accounts, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you can do all of that on your own uh, if you, you know, research en enough or just talk to people that can give you good advice. Uh, or you can go to a financial advisor. Un just no, no going in when you go to a financial advisor. Basically, they're going to be charging you right, uh, right. fee to, to make recommendations on your money. And then they're going to be trying to make you know the most possible return on your money that they can. So that's why it's good to go direct to you, you know, not have a middleman. Yeah. Yeah. Go directly to a buddy or somebody that is in the business that's doing it all right. day long. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision U. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review, and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at Money Vision U. We look forward to catching you in the next class.